Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome here. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley Church. And this morning, I've got Dave here. Hi, everyone. And Dave is our communications manager, uh, our office guy, our admin. We are super thankful to have him here because especially uh, in this time, since COVID started and we're online totally, Dave is uh, our voice on Facebook, Instagram, email. If you're calling the church, you're getting Dave. If you email the church, you're getting Dave first at least. And he just makes sure that what's being communicated gets communicated and he is making sure that we're being creative and active online on social media. So. Welcome here. We're going to get the service started for you. And it's great to have you here. Yeah, if this is your first time checking us out online, uh, we want to give you a special welcome. And we would love to hear from you. So if you could make our job a little easier and contact us at hello at cedarvalley.ca or commenting down below. Yeah, because it's kind of a bit of a one-way thing, right? Like we're recording this on Friday, so, yeah. but we are on it on Sunday morning when we're all joining live. And we just want to get to know each other better. And a really good one too is our weekly email newsletter, which has just a good compilation of our devotionals throughout the week, some prayer, some uh, praise, announcements, events, and just some good pastoral posting as well. And that you can sign up for at cedarvalley.ca, our website. Uh, there's a pop-up, I think, or you can scroll to the bottom of any page sign up for our weekly email newsletter and read it because it's got some really good information and that's being crafted by yours truly. Well, this truly, that's Dave, <laughs> not this one. Yeah, yeah, some great stuff on there and on our website, you can uh, find ways to give to the work and ministry of Cedar Valley Church by um, through online payment and e-transfer and direct banking. Yeah, and we're super grateful for your continued generous support of giving for the work that we're doing because we've been able to continue pushing forward, doing work in the city here of Mission and for the kingdom of God. And it's just been a massive blessing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah and, let's pray. Yeah, yeah, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you just for your example for us and for your a willingness to lead us and in in so many ways like our, uh, how generous you are and we just want to thank you that uh, how we can be generous and how we can love others and how we can uh, just live our lives and I just want to thank you that we are going through uh, this uh, series and that we can just uh, see who you are and uh, how we can live and connect with you as well. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, we're going to get the service started here shortly. We're going to start off with a time of singing. There's going to be lyrics on the screen. Our worship ministry has recorded a few songs to lead you in worship in your homes. After that, uh, Pastor Doug has got a special lesson for our kids, and he is playing a game with you guys, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and uh, following up with that, Pastor Rob is bringing us a message in our series on the Gospel of John. The one and only is what we're calling it, and we're going through the whole Gospel of John one chapter a week, and uh, this morning we're diving into chapter one. Yeah, so just read along with us the week before. You can read uh, the chapter, and uh, it's only one chapter a week, and so it's not too heavy. Yeah, pretty easy. Yeah, pretty yeah, easy. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and feel free to read it a couple times. Um, yeah, I, last yeah. week we we learned because I think it, you know one chapter. I think we can do that a couple times a week. And Rob showed us this SOAP method mm. is an acronym for how we can kind of read and apply. And uh, do you remember what they are? 
The soap ones. Scripture, observe, apply, or application. Application and, and prayer. And prayer. Yeah, because that's how we're going to go through it too. And so check out that message. It's also on our social media or even last week's message. You can watch on demand how to use that application for reading. And it's fantastic. And before we get into all of that, Dave here is our resident basketball guy. In fact, actually, I came to Cedar Valley a number of years ago and found that there's a bunch of basketball guys here. And that's like the one sport that I'm pathetic at, right? Like you may as well just put ice skates on me while I'm trying to swim. I don't know, it's it's a joke. Mm. But Dave is our resident basketball guy and he is also diving into uh, AIA and mm. you know that's just an, like, another acronym. But Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about that passion for basketball, what is AIA and mm. what, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, so Athletes in Action or AIA is a ministry devoted to see that everyone, specifically athletes, to know and experience God through sport and so uh, sports has changed my life and I've had uh, many great coaches and just people speaking my life and just the whole sport itself just interacting with it uh, I've got a lot closer with God and so that's where my desire is to see these young athletes to know and experience God and it's a great neutral ground to just connect and to coach and mentor um, the community here and so uh, right now I'm raising support and just asking people to come alongside me and so I'm very eager to yeah, raise that financial goal and then also uh, start coaching and mentoring. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, using a skill, uh, passion for kingdom work, like something like Athletes in Action, which I think, he's, like you said, it's a neutral ground to take it just a passion, but also speak some of God's truth into kids' lives. So I have a bigger question for you, though. <laughs> oh, boy. Can you make this shot? But it's got to be like a three-pointer, but with yeah. this like micro right. thing. So that's going to be like at least there, I think. Yeah. Sure. With COVID, I'm a little rusty. Yeah. <laughs> Swish. Yes. There we go. Okay, Cedar Valley, if you are watching live, head over to the comment section of Facebook or YouTube. We're going to dive into the service really quick, but before we do that, comment online and let us know what is your sport. Like, you know, either something that you're really good at or you grew up playing a lot or you still are currently playing or something that you watch a lot or just have a ton of knowledge, right? For me, it's probably soccer more so. Uh, but yeah, let us know what your sport is. We're in for a great morning. Thanks Dave for joining us. Thanks Cedar Valley. See ya. See ya.
Hey Cedar Valley kids, it is great to be with you again. Now, do you like playing board games? Oh, I sure do. They are so much fun, all different kinds. But you know what? I'm kind of competitive, some people have said. Now that means I have a lot of fun playing, but I play to win. Well, anyways, I've got something I want to show you. It is this. It is a six-in-one board game. You know what? I played with this board game when I was just a little kid. This game, board game is over 60 years old. This board, we had this in our house. Now on one side, Crokino, how cool is that? But on this side, there's five games. Around the outside here, Steeplechase is one of them. Then you've got checkers, regular kind. Then you've got Chinese checkers. Now it's not even a Chinese game. Somebody just made up that name but it's a whole lot of fun as well. And then Parcheesi. I don't know if you've ever played that game, but that's pretty cool. And then Snakes and Ladders. Probably one of my favorite games. And you know what I thought? Maybe we could play a little bit right now. I'm going to be the blue, and you guys, you're gonna be the orange. I'm gonna roll for me and move, and then I'm gonna roll for you and move and we'll see what happens. Now, if you haven't played Snakes and Ladders before, you've gotta go from here down at the bottom all the way up to try to get right to the very end. You have to watch out because along the way, there's some snakes. And if you land on the head of one, woo, then you slide all the way down to here. But the cool thing is, there's ladders also. And if you land on the bottom, you get to go all the way up. All right, let's start. Let's see how we do. Let's have some fun. So, this is you. You got a five. So, there you go, right there, in between the ladder and the snake. Hmm. Okay, now it's me. Yes, four. One, two, three, four. Ladder, yay for me. All right, you guys. Now, okay, here, you got a th three. One, two, three, nothing. All right. How about me? Four. One, two, three, four. All right. You, you got a three. One, two, three. And, oh, yes. Here, one. All the way up. Whew. Another ladder for me. How about you guys? Five. One, two, three, four, five. Ah, oh, you got the snake. You're all the way back down to six. Oh, we're doing pretty good here. At least I am. Yes, two. Whew. Another ladder, how about you guys? Five. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, what about this one? Uh, yes, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Another ladder, I'm doing pretty sweet here. And how about you guys? Five. One, two, three, four, five. Are you kidding me? You got the snake again. And all the way back down. Whew. Well, that's been pretty fun, but you know what? I think we're gonna have to stop. That's all we have time for. Now, if you wanna continue this game, you can come drop by the church as soon as it's safe to do so with this whole virus thing, and I'll play you again this time for real. All right? Now, do you know what? As we were playing this game, I was thinking, boy, ladders, they help you get up further, kinda to the next level. Did you know that there's a verse in the Bible, in the book of John, 
chapter 1, right at the very end, it is verse 51. And Jesus says, did you see in my Bible? Maybe I'll put it right here. Jesus says it's in red lettering. That means Jesus is talking in my Bible. Shows that. He says that I am the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus said that about himself. Well, that's pretty cool. So I think, well, a ladder is kind of like a stairway because both of them take you from one level and get you up to another level. And Jesus says, that's him. Now, what if we were to play this game again? And what if we started here? But if you didn't get a ladder, you just kept on playing until you fell right off the board. The only way you could win the game is if you got a ladder and it took you up to the top. You know, that's kind of like life. We can try to do things on our own. Lots of really good things keep going and going and going. But it won't get us to God. Jesus is the only way. He said he was the stairway, which is kind of like a ladder. He's the only way we can get to God. Do you know that? Jesus is the one and only. He's the one and only Son of God. He's the one and only way to God. Now, how cool is that? That God gave us Jesus. Now, that means we don't have to worry in life, oh, what should I do? Which way should I go? We just have to follow Jesus. That means we read the Bible and we do what Jesus wants us to do. And then we follow Jesus in our life and he brings us to God in heaven. How great is that? Now, just before we go, and I'm going to practice and I'm going to be ready to play you again. We're going to finish our game one day, hopefully. I've got something for you to do. Did you know that in the Bible, in the book of John, chapter 1, what I would like you to do is there's some places where it says one and only. Now, what I want you to do is read through chapter 1. Now, if you can't read yet, get your parents to read and they can help you out. But find the verses where it says one and only. Then send it to me, your answers, all right? You can send them to me at douglas at cedarvalley.ca. And I'd love to hear where you found where it says one and only. Because that's what we're talking about, Jesus. Nobody is like him in the whole world, in the whole universe. And God gave him just to us. How cool is that? Anyways, have a great day, and we're going to see you next time. Good morning, Cedar Valley. I'm going to invite you immediately to turn in your Bibles or on your Bible app to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning, which is about this word here, logos, on our canvas for 
this series, and it's also here, the Logos, which we'll talk about what that means very shortly. To begin, I often load uh, my left wrist up here with a pair of wristbands. Um, I think they're fun, and I've told myself that I also think they're pretty cool. My daughter, however, consistently challenges me to wear one on one wrist and one on the other wrist. She is quietly, like small age, horrified by my wristband wearing imbalance. And I suppose she has some right to be, since she gave one of them to me. One of them is a black wristband with four circular icons. The first icon is a heart. The second icon is a division sign. The third icon is a cross. The fourth icon is a question mark. So flattened out, it looks like this. So there's the heart, the division sign, the cross, and a question mark. This wristband is a reminder to me of a story, my story. It's the story of me being loved by God who made me and wants best for me. Sadly, like the first human beings to ever walk the planet, I often, and I still do, choose to do my life my way, apart from God who made me and loves me. I would argue that I was born into this state of being, having inherited the I'm going to do it my way, not your way, God, gene, from this world's first parents. So from the beginning, my relationship with God was, was broken. It was divided. This is the story of the Bible, but the Bible story doesn't end there. The Bible says that even with my back turned to God, he pursues me. He offers me forgiveness, does God, and the restoration of my relationship with him. It was the God-man, Jesus, who brokered this relationship, restoration. He died on a cross to forgive my sin, to absorb all the destructive and evil and hurtful things I do to myself and I do to others, all of which ironically is the result of me rejecting God in the first place. The Bible says it this way, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is awesome. But it's even better. Not only did Jesus wipe clean my record of sin to restore my relationship with God, he overcame death when he rose from the grave so that I could someday overcome death too and live forever with the God who made me and loves me. Which 
raises the question, and so the question mark on my wristband, do I think this story is true? Or to put it differently, what am I going to do with Jesus? This is John's preoccupation in his biography on the life of Jesus. He states his intention at the end of the book for us to read the book this way from the start. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book, but these are written, the ones that he's written up to that chapter, that you may believe, or even that you may continue to believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, John wrote his Jesus biography to give the Jews and the non-Jews of his day, which is to say, everyone, every reason to believe by virtue of the miracles that Jesus did, which acted as signs, as, as ways of pointing out the deity, the godness of Jesus, that Jesus is the one and only who could and did restore our relationship with God and made life everlasting possible for those who believe in him. This is the lens by which John wants us to read the entire gospel. He asks us to consider the question mark at the end of my wristband. And so, he begins his gospel with a prologue about the deity, the godness of Jesus. So, in the beginning, like with those Three words, every Jewish mind would have come alive with a memory of the Hebrew creation story. They would have wondered, is John going to talk about creation? And yes, he was going to talk about creation, but as a contrast to the original Genesis story. Because the next word in the Genesis story is God, as in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But here in John chapter 1, verse 1, the next word in that phrase is word. As in, in the beginning was the word. Which to the Jewish mind was a way of referring to God. So let's think about that for a second. It makes a kind of sense since the Hebrew creation story is about the God who did what? He spoke. He used words to create. So we read several times in Genesis 1, and God said, and whatever God said came into being, and it was good. This word, word, though, also worked for the Greeks of John's day. They would have understood this word, which in Greek is the word logos, as spoken word and unspoken word. 
the word still in the mind, which is to say reason. And they would have applied it to mean that rational principle which governs the universe. John is saying in these opening verses, or in this opening verse, that the principle that governs the universe actually has a name, and his name is Jesus. So carrying on, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, where we just left off, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a bit wordy. He was with God in the beginning. Who was? Who was with God in the beginning? Jesus was. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Yes. Like when God created the heavens and earth? Yeah. And are you saying that God had a beginning? No. John is saying that like God, Jesus has always been around and will always be around. Actually, John is saying way more than that. He is saying that Jesus is God. Here's what I mean. The word logos refers to God's word. So the Old Testament or to Jesus' words in the New Testament. So the primary use of the word logos is to indicate divine revelation, um, revealing of God in one way or another. But John, he took it up a notch. He personified logos by referring to Jesus. He was in the beginning. He, Jesus, eternally then existed as God the Son with God the Father. He was in fact the creator, but he became a human being, as we'll see in verse 14. Now, I'm not emphasizing the pronoun he over the pronoun she as if to say that God is only masculine. We are, after all, male and female made in his image. I am only emphasizing the pronoun he to point out that the governing principle of the universe isn't a disembodied it, but a person, a person who loves you and made you. Why would, why would God do that? Become a human being. Because Old Testament and New Testament words are one thing. They tell us about God the Father, but Jesus reveals, demonstrates, shows us what God is like in the most relatable way possible for all of humanity. Verses 3 and 5, through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus illuminates spiritual reality. Some see this, some don't. Jesus offers hope to a dark world in a dark world. Some accept it. Some reject it. John the Baptist was sent by God to be a witness to this light, and he was. It's interesting 
When we compare the Gospels, John uses the noun witness 14 times in his Gospel. Matthew, not at all. Mark three times and Luke once. Similarly, John uses the verb testimony a whopping 33 times, whereas in Matthew only once and Luke once and not at all in Mark. It's as if John is trying to say that all kinds of people saw Jesus do all kinds of things that point to him being exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And John the Baptist was among the first to witness to this. Verses 10 through 13 now, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. The world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, namely the planet that he created, but his own did not receive him, namely the Jewish people of whom he was one. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how does one become a child of God? John says here that we cannot earn it. I can't work for it. I can't keep myself from doing destructive and evil and hurtful things. And I can't do enough good things. The Apostle Paul makes it really clear in one of my favorite verses in the scripture that leaves us never doubting how our healing is accomplished. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And this isn't from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Can you imagine the scene in our afterlife otherwise with God, each of us bragging about what he or she did to make the cut? No. God is for everyone. He is against no one. From the least who might do a lot to the greatest who might do a little, but there is something here that seems to indicate that we have some responsibility that we would receive Jesus and believe that he is the son of God. Maybe this is like receiving a visitor in your home. You open the door to her, you let her in, you invite her to sit down, offer her something to drink while you visit together. You get to know her, get to know her story, and in getting to know her, you start to form a belief about her, a belief that she is who she says she is, that she's a good woman, that she is somebody worth getting to know, maybe even somebody who could become a good friend. John uses similar language in the book of Revelation where he pictures Jesus saying, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is such a homey and warm and relational picture of Jesus, which makes me wonder, will there be pizza in heaven? I know that's totally random, right? The word became flesh, verse 14, and made his dwelling among us. Or as another version of the Bible puts it, God moved into the neighborhood. And yet, it would be easy to miss 
John is subtly reinforcing here in this verse what he said in verse 1, that Jesus has always been around, that the word Jesus existed long before he became man. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is verse 14. This is so cool. This verse would have reminded John's Jewish readers of the tent of meeting, which was filled by the glory of God, his presence represented by a cloud. Jesus was the new tent, not impersonal like a cloud, but very personal. He was filled with the glory of God and revealed it by the miracles that he performed and by his resurrection. So from an historical perspective, God pursues us. He comes closer and closer when we receive him. He moves right into not just the neighborhood, but into our being when we receive him. We become, the Bible says, the new tabernacle, the new tent of meeting. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? Verses 15 and 16 now, back to John. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, John the Baptist, by the way, cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me from the, what? He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Think about it for a second, it makes sense. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. So blessing, one after another. God on display, the word become flesh, life given to mankind so we could walk in the light, miracles performed, the right to become children of God, one blessing after another. Just, just wondering, stopping here for a second, what blessings, what gifts from God can you name in your life? Verses 17 and 18 to wrap it up. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, also known as Jesus, has made him known. So the law acted as a guide for a better way to live, but it also expressed humanity's inability to stick to it. We need the grace of Jesus to cover over the cause and effect of our I'm going to do it my way, not your way, God, way of living. And we need to know that God is for us, that he's not against us, that he's on our side. So God, the Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that if we ever wonder what God is like, Jesus is our answer. I often load up my left wrist with a pair of wristbands. The second one is a plain black wristband, what some call a survival bracelet, assuming that if I need to survive somewhere, I could strip it down and use the clips and cords to, I don't know, uh, catch fish, build a slack line, floss my teeth, who knows. Whatever the case, 
I made this one years ago at a day camp we ran at a church in Chilliwack. When I look at it, it reminds me of my calling to church ministry. It reminds me of how much I enjoy children and working with them because I made this bracelet with them. And because it is made with two intertwined cords, it reminds me of my relationship with God tied back together by Jesus for this lifetime and for the next. Let's close in prayer. There's this image that we've discussed, Father, and that is your pursuit of us, even when our backs are sometimes turned to you from the start, but even maybe now, day to day. I, I'm so grateful that that's the case, that even when I have doubts, even when I might be angry with you, and these things you've said are, are, are kind of, you're, you're okay, they're kind of valid that you don't hold it against me, you don't pout, you don't reject me, but you wait. You see me, you see me struggle, you see us doubt, and yet you don't walk away. Thank you for that. Embodied is Jesus that way for us, to restore us, to heal us, to give us this hope that even though someday we will physically pass away, someday, like you, Jesus, we too will rise from the dead and live again. And until that day, when we wonder what God is like, we have you, Jesus, as our answer. We have you, Jesus, as our way of living in best ways to follow. In your precious name, I pray it. Amen. All right, next week we're going to dive into chapter two, but immediately after I finish here, we're going to go into uh, our Q&A uh, discussion time, reflection questions, so stay tuned. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us this morning. It's yeah. been a great morning so far. And it's not over just yet because no. that's a huge thing that we're trying to make happen with, it's funny that we've been able to do this with church online to finally make the realization of like, hey, we can't just let it stop after the video ends. <laughs> right. And right. let's keep this going. So we want to just riff a bit and model for you the idea of dialoguing about what we've taken in this morning and what applying it to our lives going forward from here. And maybe even just yeah. pulling out even more from the meat of John chapter one and the message you brought to us this morning could look like. Yeah, and if you're not in a small group or if you're not connecting with your small group right now because of where we're at and our health orders, call someone, Zoom someone, mm -hmm. just you yeah. know, work this out, uh, reflect on it, but then talk about it and then, then apply it which you'll see in a moment here. Hugely, and actually I know my wife has an amazing discipline with this. As a shout out for Leslie, I think she models all the time is uh, having great thoughts or even prayers or stuff when she's thinking of encouragements for people. And she literally like doesn't ever miss an opportunity to write that down and send it off to people, whether it's email or text. Like when she's praying for somebody, she texts it, right? And God is Apple and Android compatible, I've heard too. So he can be part of text prayers. <laughs> but stuff like that, yeah, it's, it's possible, right? When we're not physically in each other's faces on the same couch, you can still be connected. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Good for Leslie. Yeah. So yeah, let's... Uh, question one, you ready? Question one, I am. What difference does it make to you 
that Jesus has made God known to humanity by his humanity. Yeah. Well, I, Do you have thoughts? All the difference. I, I mean, okay. the first yeah. thing I was going to say is it's, without Jesus, it, it doesn't exist, right? Sure. Like Christianity is only post-Jesus revealing who God is. We right. tried our best. We have the whole Old Testament to see God's <laughs> effort and how much we just couldn't get it. And so yeah. whatever it was about the way God designed us as humans, we needed Jesus, God in human uh Kierkegaard would have it incognito, whatever, but just yeah, yeah, God yeah, present, yeah, yeah. human yeah. flesh. I, actually, my favorite one I heard is like, Jesus is what God looks like with skin on. Yes, I love that. It's clear, right? It's clear, it's easy, yep. but we needed that to actually make the connection mm -hmm. of this breadth of an all-powerful God who is the creator of the universe, judge, yeah. uh, master, everything, yet human, uh, compassionate, sympathetic, crying, celebrating, partying. Yeah. And we just missed that without having him physically as human. I think that, uh, you know what, that, here's the thing for me that is making all the difference. And I can only explain the difference the best by understanding the, what we miss without Jesus being in human mm. form is mm -hmm. all the same stuff that we find we're missing so much. It, like we just talked about Zoom, text, phone call, stuff like that right. brings us some connection, which we do desperately crave and it's not complete without the times that we do actually get to see each other and physically be present with each other. Right. And I think that is exactly the difference it makes with Jesus having been human, oh, God being yeah. human, Yeah, it right? would feel that way if he wasn't human, yeah, if it was still embodied in humanity. through yeah. the texts. And the prophets. And yeah, the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It'd yeah. be missing the same thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I like that a lot, actually. Um, it makes a huge difference to me. So I think the writer of Hebrews says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Hmm. And I, I like that a lot. But... It's, it's made relatable and warm to me by Jesus because we can tell ourselves that there's this God of the universe and he's like there and he doesn't really get us yeah. because he's, yeah. he's withdrawn and passive and, and unmovable and un, he's a spirit being. Like, how do you get your head around that, yeah. right? Yeah. But then Jesus. And when I pray, when I'm talking to God, when I'm listening to God, I'm able to say, because it's true, that he has felt everything I have felt. Yes, yeah. It isn't this disconnected, Mwah. I wonder what those humans are feeling down there, right? Yeah. He doesn't just have an intellectual knowledge, he has a body memory knowledge. Yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. so when I'm hurting, he doesn't, he's able to empathize with it. He would yeah. anyway, but I tell myself there's, there's something about that that yeah. makes God even more approachable in approaching his grace. Absolutely, and this is coming to my mind right now too, because uh, how often you know do you hear it, and I hear it, and out there you probably hear too, this idea of a skeptic of the faith, a skeptic of Christianity will say like, well, I like Jesus, but I just don't get the God and all right. that church stuff. And it's like, yeah. you know what is missing yeah. is, yep. and this happens to me a lot, when I'm writing an email and I, you know, I might have a bit of an emotion to it or whatever, and it gets completely misinterpreted on the other side, versus the phone calls like the next step or like in person and then it's completely different and the amount of times like Jesus isn't different than God. Yeah. We actually got to understand what yeah. the heart was yeah. and you know everything from the judgment and the punishments that we saw the the exodus and the or not the the exile in the wilderness wasn't yeah. it was loving yeah. and it wasn't this mean God who's like get out of my yeah. house.
Yeah. So that's, I think that's the difference that it makes and it kind of goes on and on and we can read about it through John, join us in that, reading through it constantly because he'll experience it going through the chapter, reading it yes. several times each week, chapter two next week. Yes, and some would even challenge you to read the entire Bible that way, to be looking for Jesus mm. between the lines of all the text. Some would say that's a very Mennonite, very Anabaptist sort of way to read things. Totally. Okay, let's go to <laughs> question two. That was really good actually. I, I hope that stirred something in you guys as well. Got me thinking. Mm -hmm. So the second question is a little more practical. Um, how do you bear witness to Jesus? I mentioned in the teaching that John talks about bearing witness and testifying uh, more than the other gospel writers, like much more. Mm. And so how do, we, how do we do this in our lives? How do you do it in your life? Yeah, uh, so I, you know, I, I like often the model of, uh, I, I like to intentionally move away from this idea that it needs to be on a street corner or a single specific act of like, here's mm -hmm. my evangelistic mm, like podium. Because yep. it doesn't work that well often, right? Uh, and really, yeah. First Peter, we get this whole sense that it's a living testimony, like your life is a living witness for who Jesus is. But uh, I know for me, this yeah. mantra I've developed that's worked well in youth ministry and my own life when I was working construction is um, affect, influence, and transform. And what, what, what I mean by that, it's affect, this. Affect, influence, transform. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. So, like so go with that is, is like affect with an A. Yep. Is doing something that turns people's heads in a way. And, and honestly, like, different times of the year, different seasons, stuff like that. Generosity turns people's heads and it's a yeah. godly characteristic. Yeah. Being forgiving and gracious or giving the benefit of the doubt, like all these things, like the slightest bit of counterculture, yeah. but are yeah. God's heart in it. Countercultural, yeah. that's a good word too. Yeah, they affect people. Yes. So then they are gonna turn their head. And then what you get to do is influence them with the fact like, well, that is God's heart. What I'm just trying mm. to do is, I'm following Jesus. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to represent him through mm -hmm. that. So I'm gonna be more forgiving. We're and, trying to embody God that way, like Jesus absolutely. did. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and then the beauty of that whole thing is, so affect and then influence is what you're doing with the ongoing stuff like that. The transform is nothing to do with us. That's the Holy Spirit now right. taking action okay. in that Okay, I wonder where life. you're going with that. Okay, yeah. so you are in that, T, the transformation, you're, yeah. you're relying on the Spirit of God yeah. just to draw people to this, this loving God. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got it. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, do you, have, do you have thoughts in how you've lived your life doing this, bearing witness? Yeah, I do. I, I think uh, back in the day, we used to talk about trying to understand where people are at if they don't know Jesus or they do know Jesus. Um, and I, I sort of thought, that's kind of dumb, to be perfectly honest. I think what I'm trying to do, and I think what we're called to do, is just to love people, whether they know Jesus or not. Uh, we don't, we shouldn't like tell ourselves it requires more effort for one over the other. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's, you know, so in my neighborhood, um, I live on a lane and there's 17 other neighbors. And I think this is a good, I think this is a good measure of your testimony <laughs> sure. and your witness of the countercultural loving God that you're trying to embody, which is you're not, you're the neighbor on the lane who everyone else seeks out hmm. or who speaks well of because, um, not because you're trying to earn their favor so much as yeah. you're trying to just obey Jesus and the things he's calling you to do. But boy, if, 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 so a good measure is I walk out of my house on a morning off to work, but I get stopped by a neighbor who just wants to talk about life. And hmm. a half an hour later I leave. That's a good measure because I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving my neighbor, right? Yeah. I think that's that's my experience. And so, if you get to a point where you have a conversation around, well, what's this Jesus thing about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
then, then, then we're probably relying on the transformational power of the Spirit yeah. who's saying to all of us, oh, there is someone who's made you and adores you and has this enormously good plan in mind for you. Absolutely. That, that's huge. I, yeah, I like the idea of being neighbor. It's, again, counterculture. And it's often, it, you know, in my thoughts, I know you've shared stories as well of how you are a trusted neighbor, you're dependable, stuff like that. Right. And it's usually taking action to stuff that, like, isn't just, oh, well, what's fair? You know, what's my duty? It's actually the right. above and beyond because, like, right. Jesus went above and beyond what was right. fair to us. Yeah. God does that continually. And yeah, the one thought I was even just having is, you know, I don't think we always need to even necessarily wait for them to ask us, like, oh, are you a Christian? Is that why you're so nice? <laughs> right. Because I do think that, right. again, a countercultural... Because it doesn't happen super often. Totally. Right? Yeah. And a, a countercultural thing with that, actually, is by even just naming it, either in people's lives, of seeing, like, you know, I, I see God working in your yes. life here. Or when there's a major yes. miracle, somebody has, you have the relationship and somebody can share about some... Uh, family member that's overcome something or a yes. miracle or they need prayer. Yes. Like, I, I believe there's a God who yes. can intervene yes. in this. And, and offering to pray for them. Absolutely. Either right there with them or giving them the sense that you will for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great stuff, man. Love cool. that. So I hope that's energized your own discussions around these things. Absolutely. Thanks, Cedar Valley. Keep this going and we will see you next week. John chapter two. Yeah. <laughs>